Chapter 13 Dangerous Knowledge The knowledge of the dark, and for all the ancient errors, comes down to us in dribbles and drabs. Only a few volumes survive, and those often disagree with each other or refer to still earlier, now lost text. The reasons for this lack of knowledge are myriad, including the long cold gap of the Ice Age. But one basic reason for this loss of knowledge is that each Ice Age, indeed each generation or regime, wishes that its version of history be the only one that survives to tell the tale. The Church of Tao was merciless in expunging volumes that did not agree with its version of history, and mages and scholars since then were little better. Though they couched their sensorial habits in terms of modern validity and historical revisionism, both church and scholar spoke the same language. It would be the victors who would set down how history truly happened. Our call, our scholar, Sorry about your shoes, slurred Shannon. I can get new ones, said Joda, navigating the weaving assistant of artifice down the hallway to an unblemished spot. Already, servants behind them were removing Shannon's zitter from the wallpaper and rug. You still have the bolthole, said Shannon, turning toward Joda, but neither eye quite focusing. Right here, said Joda, holding up the bottle and glasses, clinking them together. Good. Shannon's head dropped down on his chest. I hate to think it was a total loss. He looked up again. Sorry about the shoes. Don't worry, said Joda, steering his drunken companion to a small, overstuffed couch. He suddenly had empathy with the sea captain, trying to moor an overladen vessel against contrary winds. Joda got Shannon close enough to the couch that a good push in gravity carried the tipsy artificer the rest of the way. Shannon landed with a crash and raised his arms and legs as he hit the couch. That's better, said Shannon. Less spinning this way. Good, said Joda, pouring another drink for his companion. Shooting drink, he said. Leaves me fuzzy in the morning. Have to do another gear for Bauer's mystery machine in the morning. Got one done, but the next three crack right down the middle. Nothing but problems, that Nithrite. You gonna drink yourself? No, this is for you, said Joda, handing over the full glass. Shannon smiled at the glass, then frowned at Joda. Aren't you going to join me? Joda waved his empty glass at Shannon, shaking its non-existent contents. Right here. Shannon concentrated on his drink. He raised it, and said loudly, Confusion to our enemies and managed to get most of it down its throat, some of it on its shirt, and only a bit on the upholstery of the couch. You're a good person, looking out for me. Not a lot of people do around here, you know. That's good, said Joda. No, I mean it, said Shannon, lurching forward in a seat. It's friend this, and friend that, but really, they're all just vultures, just waiting for you to trip up. They're so impressed with being wizards that they forgot their people. And people. Shannon smacked his lips and gathered his thoughts. People are just selfish sometimes. Uh-huh, said Joda. Actually, I want to hear about a couple of the people around here. Good, because I know, said Shannon. I know just about everything. Nobody likes me. I mean, nobody likes anyone. But they all talk about each other. 
I want to know about the Lord High Mage, said Joda, and the Chief Artificer too. Shannon's eyes cleared with remarkable speed, and Joda realized that the apprentice was staring at him in terror as if Joda had suddenly spat flame. Then he was struggling to his feet. I got to go, he said. Joda placed a hand on Shannon's shoulder and steered him back to the couch. I'm just curious. Curious is bad around here. They tell you it's good. But as soon as you get curious about the wrong thing, whammo. He made a chopping motion with his free hand, still managing to spell out part of his drink in the process. That's why I'm asking you, said Joda. I'm asking someone trustworthy. Trustworthy? Sir Shannon, trying the word on like a new vest. Yes, that's true. I am trustworthy. But I can't tell you. Again, the half rise, and again, the hand against the shoulder. Let me tell you something then. Shannon was looking both trapped and peeved, but said, Go ahead. I talked with the Lord High Mage today, said Joda. Shannon's face screwed up in a tight little ball. Did not, he managed at last. Truth, said Joda, looking exacerbated, and he hoped, honest. He came by the library today, and we had a long chat. Shannon's eyes dropped a bit. What did he want? Ah, said Joda. That's the problem. I don't know. We talked about the weather, and magic, and colors, and how my studies were going, but I don't know what he wanted. Shannon's brows furrowed, and Joda could almost imagine the intuitive engines within, desperately struggling to engage with cognitive thought. That's odd, was all he could manage. Deucedly odd. My thoughts exactly, said Joda. Marisol is a powerful mage, right? Right, said Shannon. And very busy as well, continued Joda. Busy to the boot, said Shannon. So why is he talking to me, said Joda. Maybe he sees something in you he likes, said Shannon. Maybe something about his own youth. Maybe said Joda, biting his lower lip. Which is why I wanted to turn to a font of knowledge. That would be you. Me, said Shannon, letting the word sink. No, can't help you. Sorry. The drunk artifice tried to rise from his chair, and this time, Joda did not stop him. Fine, I'll go ask someone else, like Barl. Maybe he could tell me why Marisol wants to talk to me. That halted Shannon in mid-rise. Slowly, like a pierced balloon, he sat back down. Talking to Borrow is like talking to the highway Muckadee himself. Bad idea. He paused for a moment, gathering either his courage, his wits, or both. Finally, he said, Okay, but you didn't hear this from me. I didn't hear it from you, said Joda. I mean, it's an open secret said Shannon. Everyone knows, but nobody says anything. Open secret, repeated Joda. Shannon held up his now empty glass. Joda refilled it. Shannon leaned close, and Joda almost leaned away from the cloud of alcohol the artificer exuded. Almost. Mirsel is also called the pretender, said Shannon, in a low, confidential voice that could not be heard more than twenty feet away. I mean behind his back. Joda shook his head and said, A pretender? Shh, 
said Shannon, scanning up and down the hall for spies. You mean, he isn't a mage? No, 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 said Shannon. He's a pretender to the throne. He's not supposed to be leading the conclave. He took over for the first leader, who was his teacher. He's an usurper. Usurper, corrected Joda. That too, said Shannon. His own teacher built this place. Wanted to make it a big haven for wizards. Brought the first ones, the old guys. Then he turned his back on Mirsol. And, Wemmel. He made the chopping motion again. He killed him? said Joda. His first master. Mirsol killed him and took over? Shannon shrugged his shoulders. Don't know. Some think he killed him. Some think the great teacher got away. Some think he turned him into one of the fallen. Fallen? said Joda. Shannon looked at Joda hard. I never told you how I ended up here? Joda had been wondering that himself, but just nodded. Heard about the place, and brought the ship captain to take me here, said Shannon. They don't recruit here, since Marisol took over. You have to get here on your own. Power to prove you're worthy in the first place. Shannon shook his head. Anyway, my challenge was to fight one of the Fallen. You know what they are? Joda shook his head. When a mage holds too much mana, for too long, he gets burned, right? Said Shannon, not waiting for Joda to respond. You burn too much? You hold too much mana for too long? For too many times? You become the fallen. Nasty things. Wild and untamed. No eyes. Just burning little bits of magic. They still know their spells, but have no control. Move like weasels. Real fast. Fight like wolves. Shannon shook himself. Joda tried to imagine Shannon defeating such a creature and found it impossible. How did you beat it? He finally asked. Shannon brightened. I had built a crossbow that fired four broadhead bolts at once. I hit them from ten yards away. Joda nodded. That would do it. Had to reload. Twice, said Shannon, draining the last of his drink. He held out his glass, but the bottle was empty now. Joda showed it to him, and he just sighed deeply. So you think that has something to do with the Fallen? said Joda. The first mage became one by holding too much mana too long? Or that Marisol turned him into one? I don't think nothing, said Shannon. I know that everybody walks on eggshells around the Lord High Mage Mukti because they're afraid that he'll do to them what he did to their first leader. He sighed. And I think they're afraid of Barl because he's the only one the Lord High Mukti talks to. Except the Lord High Mage was talking to me today, said Joda in a low voice. So if I were you, I'd be real careful what I say to him about yourself, and especially about me, or else. He made the chopping motion a third time. Whammo, said Joda softly. There was no sign of Shannon at breakfast the next day, which was a small surprise to Joda. The large apprentice had managed to weave his way down the hall under his own power at the close of their discussion, but Joda was fairly sure that Shannon would end up sleeping on some hallway couch. As it was, Breakfast was a quiet affair, and for the first time, Joda realized that he knew very few people here. Most he knew by face, but only a handful had he had more than a few words with, and never about magic itself. Moreover, he rarely heard people discussing magic, either at breakfast, or dinner, or in the halls. Maybe that's what Marisol was looking for, thought Joda. 
someone to talk to about magic. Maybe everyone else is just too respectful and downright scared, so he picked on a new arrival. Maybe. It still didn't sit right. The library was a relief, and Jota was pleased for once to get back to his work. His task, as the Lord High Mage had called them. Netta nodded at him primly as he came past her desk, and he started to think that things would return to normal after yesterday's oddity. He looked out the window, briefly, and saw that the clouds were heavy and gray, like inverted puffball mushrooms in the sky. It would likely rain again by midday. Joda opened his drawer and pulled out the scarab, quill, ink, and parchment from within. He also pulled out the folder containing the manuscript to date and the tome unfinished from the previous day. Suddenly, the prospect of reading through the various descriptions of how Pikeman maneuvered into a square on sloping terrain did not seem as promising as it had the morning before. As he prepared himself, another mage came from around the stacks. He had apparently been in there already, and he was one whom Joda did not recognize. This mage had a high forehead and was wearing wide-lens spectacles over his eyes. He turned briefly toward Joda, and the lenses made him look like a surprise frog. The new mage looked at the shelves and shook his head, then walked over to the semi-organized pile of books. He lingered over Joda's stack of finished tomes. They have been recorded, said Joda. The second pile is for ones I don't understand. The rest we haven't gotten to yet. The mage looked up at Joda with an icy glare and what might have been a sneer. Joda took the hint and set up the scarab to record. The wizard selected a book from the top of the unread pile. It was a huge volume, bound in leather, with a circular disc of azure mica mounted on the cover. Its pages were expensively gilt, and a red velvet bookmark hung from the bottom along the spine, looking like a flopping tongue. The mage sat down at a nearby table, and Joda began reading aloud the growth of hereditary knighthood in the southern cities. That was when the new arrival began screaming. At first, Joda did not understand what was happening. The mage sat down at the table, opened the book, and started to read. Now he was screaming and holding onto the book with one hand, waving it back and forth. No, he wasn't holding onto it. The book was holding onto him. It had some grown teeth along the covers and had a firm hold on the mage's wrist. The bespectacled wizard was now waving his arm frenetically, but the book would not relax its grip. If anything, it was trying to bite farther up the wizard's arm, using its bookmarked tongue to drag itself forward. Jodah was stunned for a moment, but only for a moment. He leaped up and ran to the mage, who was now performing a one-man dance in the center of the library, his hand trapped in the book, blood sprouting on the tiles around them. Jodah tried to grab the mage and wrestle him to the ground, to pry the book from him. He was rewarded by the mage slamming Jodah with the book itself, the spine catching him in the cheek. Jodah dropped to one knee and cursed himself. He was trying a physical solution to a magical problem again. Now he took a deep breath, effortlessly calling up the memories of his home. Then, as he had on the floor of the challenge arena, he unleashed a small, negating package of white mana. The book stiffened, then dropped off the mage's hand. Its teeth had vanished, its tongue-like bookmark just a bookmark again. The mage was still screaming, and he dropped to his knees, freed of his attacker. Netta was there with some leaves pulled from one of her plants and a handful of berries. She shoved the berries past the mage's lips and made him swallow, and that seemed to calm him down a bit. Then, she wrapped the leaves around the streaming wounds. The leaves glowed with a greenish aura and staunched the flow of blood. Others arrived, servants, and a healer, who took the mage out. He left the library under his own power, cursing in some language 
Jodah did not understand. Netta handed the offering bomb over to another servant with instructions to put it in a secure place until it was investigated. She turned to Jodah. Did you cut the manna from it? She asked. Jodah shook his head and wiped sweat from his brow. I removed the manna entirely. It didn't seem like something he wanted to see come back. Netta looked at him for a moment, then nodded. She told the servant that the book should be locked up, but did not need to be guarded. Then, she told the other torque servants to grab mops and clean up the floor. Jodah looked down at himself. His shirt was spattered with the mage's blood. Netta looked at him and told him to take the rest of the day off. Jodah nodded, then looked over at the pile of unread books. You think there are more like that? Netta shrugged. Possibly. Sometimes books are just brought here and dumped. No telling where it came from. Later, Jodah thought about the comet. They were trying to record all the information in the books, but did not know or care where they came from. Of course, they had an expendable junior mage doing the recording, just in case there was something wrong with the book. That was one way it could have happened, but Jodah could not be certain that the book, with the blue mica oval on the cover, had been there the day before. It had been on the top, and would have been the next book he would have reached for. Had someone been in the library overnight, and left the book there for him to find? Or worse yet, Danetta or the Lord High Mage himself, put the book there? That would explain Marisol's sudden odd appearance. But why? As a test? Or a punishment? Or a warning? Jodah took the rest of the day off, but his thoughts were jumbled and confused. Shannon was late to dinner, and upon seeing Jodah, the soppy artificer, flew into a rage. You rat, he said. You got me drunk last night. You got yourself drunk, said Joda. I merely held the bottle. Don't get cute with me, young pup, snapped the overweight man. You're to blame for this. He waved a bandaged hand in Joda's face. Joda took a step back. What happened? An accident, hissed Shannon. I cracked another cog today. Because I was up all night. Because you kept giving me rum through a funnel. Next thing I know, one of the saws is accidentally running and whammo. Jodo winced at the image, but Shannon continued. Of course, we have enough magical healers to reattach a few fingers. But still, I'm out of work for the next four weeks. Four weeks as the damn muscles retrain. They've got me gardening as therapy. Gardening. For four weeks. That's only one step above being given a torque and made a servant. And it's all your fault. More than you know, said Jodo and he quickly explained his own adventure of the day. Shannon took a deep breath, and looked more serious than Joda ever remembered the happy juggernaut ever appearing before. Two accidents on the same day. The fates are trying to tell us something. The fates, said Joda. Or something else. Was there anyone else in the hole last night? said Shannon. Not that I saw, said Joda. Meaning that it could have been anyone, concluded the wounded apprentice. Curse me for trusting you. It could have been an accident, said Joda hollowly. Shannon made a rude noise and said, I'll be sure to remember that when a tree falls on me out in the garden. In the meantime, let's try something different. I don't know you, and you don't know me, and we both watch our own backs. Okay? Joda frowned, but nodded. Speaking of our own backs, watch us right now, muttered Shannon. Joda turned slightly and saw that Chief Artificer Barl 
was bearing down on their position. Friend Joda, friend Shannon. Your hand is better, friend Shannon? Much better, friend Barrow. Much better indeed. I apologize for my clumsiness. Shannon gave a smile that was a bit too broad, as if he had a secret delight in losing fingers. You'll be more careful next time, said Barl smoothly. Much more careful, said Shannon, with a pronounced bow. No, if you'll excuse me. He left the apology unfinished and slid over to the other side of the room. Friend Joda, he began. Joda took a deep breath and said, I must apologize, friend Barl. Apologize? Shannon was telling me about his accident, and I feel responsible. I fear I was with him yesterday evening and let him drink too much. That might account for his clumsiness this morning. Joda finished his apology with a shrug. Barl looked at Joda as if Shannon's clumsiness, or his drinking, or his health for that matter, were the furthest things from his mind. Think nothing of it, he said. We are all responsible for our own actions, regardless of who is in the area at the time. I came to you for a different matter. Joda waited patiently. All he could think of was Shannon chopping his bandaged hand through the air and saying whammo. The Lord High Mage would like to see you in a study following the meal, said Barl, if you do not have other plans. Needless to say, Joda did not touch dinner. Across the horseshoe, Shannon dug into his meal, though Joda knew that he stopped only at three glasses of wine. Barl vanished immediately after giving Joda the message, and with neither Barl nor Marisol present, the proceedings quickly degenerated to several risque illusions and created things done with mashed potatoes. After a reasonable interval, Joda rose, leaving his meal untouched, and made his way up to the Lord High Mage's office. Barl was waiting, and, touching a small golden rune set into the black door, escorted him into Marisol's study. Friend Joda, said Marisol, smiling and rising from his desk. I heard of the excitement in the library yesterday. I trust you are well. Well enough, friend Marisol, said Joda, much less sure of himself. Good. I suppose there's a lesson there. Even in our secure home, there's danger in magic, said the Lord High Mage, and having addressed the subject, discarded it. I suppose you are wondering why I've asked for you. I am curious, replied Joda, speaking as sparingly as possible. Marisol sat on the corner of his desk. You have a mage in your family tree. You mentioned it to Barl your first day here. Joda nodded. Jarsol, he said. Jarsol, said Marisol, and his eyes lit up as if he just remembered the name himself. What do you know of him? Joda shrugged as politely as he could. I'm afraid I do not know much. Most of what I know is from my grandmother, who was but a child when he disappeared. She said he was a powerful magician and would work great spells, and that he was responsible for many of the early improvements on the manor, but I'm afraid that is all that has lasted from then to now. Marisol templed his fingers in front of him. He was a mighty mage, but you don't know anything he's done? Joda blushed slightly. Such has been our family history. He engaged in a number of studies and kept a tower at the corner of the family lands. And that tower, said Marisol. Long since gone, said Joda. I played among the few remaining stones when I was a child. Hmm, said Marisol thoughtfully. And Charles's library, his notes, his writings. He had an apprentice, my grandmother said, 
replied Joda. When he disappeared, there was no one else interested in his studies, and the apprentice took most of his work. Took it where? asked the Lord High Mage. Joda shrugged and added, There were some books, but they were lost over the years, given to other mages. Once, an agent of the Church of Tal came to the manor, before I was born. Apparently, there was a great concern that the Inquisitor would find something about Jarsal and his work. But in truth, he arrived, searched the place that had been Jarsal's tower, and then left without saying a word. Marisol nodded and said, You said your twice-great-grandfather disappeared. He ran off? I don't know. Joda paused, racking his brain for the stories his grandmother, by then an old and bent woman, had told by the fireplace when he was a child. He didn't die. He wasn't fighting another mage, or the church, or anything. He was involved with some type of research, and went off in pursuit of something to help him. Some far-off land, my grandmother said. That was something that she added, since no one knew what happened to him. I see, said Marisol, reaching beside him to touch a thin volume, bound in black leather, that was sitting on his desk. With a single finger, he pushed the book in front of Joda. I want to find out, he said. I want to find out what happened to him, and what he was working on, and I want you to help me. Marisol tapped the cover of the book with a long, tapered finger. After I read about your ancestor in your interview, I started digging through my text and through the texts of other friend mages in the conclave. I went looking for your great-great-grandfather. He tapped the book again. And I found him. He tapped the black cover again. Friend Joda, this is the diary of Jarsa the Mage, your ancestor, who discovered the dark lands of Phyrexia after the Brothers' War, said Marisol, clearly pleased with himself. With his help and with yours, I intend to discover that land again.